holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to another Arsblog Arscast on arsblog.oleole.com. Coming up on this show, we've got uh, Gilberto Silver from gunnerblog.com to talk about Spurs and to talk about the Stoke game coming up tomorrow. Uh, as well as that, uh, Amari Bishop PI is here. The man in the bar is here of a fashion as well. Uh, Sylvester's in the houses as well and, uh, and other stuff too. And of course, it is Halloween. Uh, and it wouldn't be Halloween without a spooky guest presenter on the Arscast. Um, it's Vincent Price. Say hello, Vincent. What in the name of all that's holy is that thing? That's uh, Arsenal's defence, and, and there's the manager of Arsenal, Arsene Wenger. Good day to you, you penny-pinching old pig. Uh, and that guy over there dressed in the tiger suit, that's Emmanuel Abue. He plays a lot of games for Arsenal. Well, I'm going out and drink myself into a state of... Stupefaction. Can't blame you there, Vincent, in fairness. Uh, maybe we'll hear more from Vincent later in the show. Uh, probably not, though. Uh, <clears throat> uh, right, well, what's happened since the last hour's cast? Well, let's go back a bit further than the most recent thing that happened, because I still have to consider my thoughts about that some. Uh, so before that, again, was the game against West Ham on Sunday. And uh, yeah, 2-0, good. I like it. 2-0 wins are excellent. Who can argue against a 2-0 win, even if one of the goals comes uh, as an own goal? A second one from Matty Bayor after a rather excellent pass from Bentner, who, who probably didn't get as much credit for the pass as he deserved. It really was very, very good indeed. Uh, so 2-0, and that's that's excellent. Sets you up nicely for the next uh, London Derby, uh, coming up in just a couple of days' time, and against your most despicable and, and most local rivals. So uh, you're in good fettle going into that game and a bit of confidence and, and then you go a goal down. And of course it had to be David Bentley, didn't it? Had to be Bentley. The little cunt. Seriously. And then I was thinking as the game went on, maybe I was getting ahead of myself. Maybe it's all my fault that we lost for thinking these thoughts. I was thinking it was it was brilliant for Bentley to score and lose. 
that that was even sweeter than than Bentley not scoring and and Spurs losing. If you got my drift, I would have preferred Bentley to score and us to win than for us to win like three nil or four nil, because it would have been great. Because his goal would have been just absolutely meaningless. No matter how good it was, it would have been meaningless. Of course, it didn't turn out that way. Uh, some people talking about Almunia for the first goal. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. It was a bit of a fluky one in a million goal from Bentley. He won't do that again in his life. Uh, so maybe Almunia was a bit far off his line, but then you can't really expect someone to do that. Uh, second goal uh, of Spurs, yes. I think you can uh, you can ask serious questions of Almunia. Maybe it hit him in the face, maybe it didn't, but you know he should hold that shot. And to be fair to him, there was another one very similar to it. I think it might have actually been Bentley, who really, really caught one on the half volley. Same kind of thing, skidding just above the surface, and Almunia held onto it very, very well. So, um, yeah, criticism of Almunia for the second goal for me, not for any of the other goals. Uh, and I don't think the keeper was our problem at all uh, when it came down to the result in general. Um, of course, we were uh, one all. Sylvester scored his first goal for Arsenal, then Gala scored to make it 2-1. Uh, and then we made it 3-1. Great pass from Van Persie. Nasri didn't quite lift it over the keeper enough. He looked a bit unsure, actually, but Adibayor was there and he took uh, the ball and Hutton into the back of the net. And then we had that second goal, which uh, uh, Almunia could have done better about. We've already spoken about that. And immediately we went and made it 4-2. Uh, Van Persie uh, with the goal after Hutton played in Adibayor. So 4-2 at home. And really that should have been game over. And in a way I can understand the manager making substitutions. We've got a lot of games coming up. Um, he probably thought at 4-2, even this team, delicate as they are, isn't going to throw away that kind of a lead. He was wrong. Um... Gail Clichy had a, a really good game, I thought, uh, but just had this moment of, of madness where he couldn't decide what to do with the ball. Maybe he didn't have a pass on. He could have just gone back to the center half, I'm pretty sure, uh, but slipped and, and Genus came uh, down the pitch and curled it in to make it 4-3. And then, of course, you know what happened. The goal, the shot took a deflection, hit the post, uh, landed at Aaron Lennon's feet in 4-all, and they were celebrating uh, like they'd won every cup in the entire world. Of course, you do. You can accuse him of being small-time about it, but, you know, uh, a last-minute goal is a last-minute goal to save a game for you, and I suppose for them, given their circumstances, yeah, you know, I can understand them celebrating like that. It doesn't make them any less cuntish or minging, but, you know, I can understand it to a, to a certain point. Um, From our point of view, though, at 4-2, uh, we should never have let them back into it. Had the cliche thing not happened, they wouldn't have got... They wouldn't have got the fourth goal. Uh, so it was a bit accidental in a way. But at the same time, at 4-3, there should have been the, you know, the experience, the leadership in the side for someone to say, look, just keep the ball, play it into the corners. Let's make it difficult for them to get it back. We'll just pass it around. Let them chase it. And even after a while, then they probably wouldn't have chased it that much. They would have thought, yeah, we're fucked. So it was... Um, Hugely disappointing, and again, just a, another indication of how bizarre I think this team is. Capable of, of pretty much anything. They can win 4-0 or 5-2. They can lose to someone like Hull or Fulham. They can throw away a winning position in a North London derby at home. 
And again, it comes down to the quality of the players. For me, uh, we're lacking, and we know where we're lacking, so I'm not going over that. But I think this is what happens when you don't have the required quality of player in your side. And you make life difficult for yourself by taking off your attacking players, and we can go down that route. But uh, the quality, particularly in midfield, as we know, is not is not really there. So it was an awful, awful uh, result on Wednesday. Uh, it felt like a loss, even though we did get a point. Um, and I hope lessons are learned from it. But I'm not. Um, I wouldn't hold my breath because this team seems to have a weakness more than one weakness, uh, and lessons don't appear to be learned. There was a definite uh, smack of arrogance about them when they were 4-2 up. Saw Adi Bayor saying, uh, yeah, maybe we thought the game was won, which is remarkable. You could see Alex Song when he came onto the pitch all smiling and laughing and he thought he was just going to amble around for a few minutes and then, you know, join in the celebrations at the end. It doesn't work like that. Be as smug and arrogant as you want after you've won the game. Not during, because you get slapped like we got slapped. And after the whole game, where there was this uh, definite complacency within the team, they thought they just had to turn up to win a home game against Hull. That's what it was. That's what cost us that day. That's arrogance as well. So you wonder, are the lessons being learned? Anyway, uh, onwards and, and upwards, I suppose. Or with this team, it could be onwards and downwards. But uh, anyway, to, to talk a bit more about Spurs and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, we'll uh, we'll say hello to uh, Gilberto Silver uh, from Gunnerblog.com. Hello there. Hello there. Good morning. Uh, now, uh, I suppose the first thing we should talk about is the game on Wednesday night. Arsenal 4, Spurs 4. An extraordinary game by any standards. Possibly you can put it down to just one of those mad games that happens every so often in a North London derby. But the reality is uh, that that what happened was entirely our fault. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I walked away from the grounds thinking, well, that's a bit of a freak result. And then I remembered saying that you know, about the whole game and about a couple of other games we've been involved with, how many times uh, does sort of conceding, you know, conceding goals completely against run of play, what, after that occurs a certain number of times, it no longer really constitutes a freak, does it? There have been some comparisons, and I, I've read them on, on some websites and comments left on blogs, etc., etc. Perhaps it's a little unfair, but it's not too far wide of the mark. When people are saying that this Arsenal team now resembles... Kevin Keegan's Newcastle, in the way that uh, in order to win a game, you have to score more than you concede. Now, that makes mm. sense. I know that, that that just makes perfect sense. But You've the heard the rules. Is, You've heard the rules, yeah. evidently. <laughs> but the point is, is that this is an Arsenal side that is probably nearly always going to concede goals. It unfortunately looks that way. I mean, something I read, uh, I think on a forum, was that what happened last night is what could have happened in Turkey against Fenerbahce. And mm. um, when you think of that, I mean, when you think of that game and the chances that Fenerbahce missed were much, much better than the chances that Spurs had last night. Um, so, you know, it could be said that this has been coming. Um, we really did look dangerously vulnerable at the back. And being at the game, what was absolutely clear 
it's something that shouldn't surprise us at all, is that we did not have a holding midfielder of any description at any point in the game, really. Um, and it was a real problem for us with Modric playing in the number 10 role. Uh, it caused us two problems. One was that nobody was picking him up. He was free in the first half the whole time, really, even though that isn't when most of the damage was done. Uh, but he also uh, positioned himself very, very close to Fabregas, and it gave Cesc a lot of problems in terms of getting on the ball. Um, and if we'd had someone who was a naturally deep-lying player who could have stuck to Modric and combated him you know, for our sake, it would have made a big, big difference, uh, particularly in the first half when we quite struggled. But Wenger has been talking about how Danielson had a, an excellent game, and I thought Danielson did have a good game. But and that that's really not his natural position, even though I think that's what uh, the intention is to try and uh, turn him into this kind of um, a little bit more creative Gilberto. But for me, uh, Danielson is sort of like a, a Sesk, obviously not as good yeah. as Sesk, and it goes against his natural game. Uh, his natural instinct is to go forward, is to get on the ball and try and uh, create something, uh, rather than to do the defensive work and the dirty work and the, the the work that nobody really gets too much credit for uh, particularly when you look at the likes of Gilberto and Flamini who did that um, so so well Yeah, I mean Danielson did, he had a very good second half, especially going forward, I, I really thought that um, I thought he really struggled in the first half hour or so of the game like a lot of players but, um, you know while he was on the pitch, we conceded two goals um, granted we didn't concede four uh, in fact, was he still on the pitch at the end? Yes, he was. He was, right. So, he's playing that role, but we conceded four goals. So, something isn't right. If you see four goals at home, obviously something isn't right. <laughs> but, um, however well he played, if you're the defensive fielder, if that's your specified role, and you concede four goals, you can't go home happy. Mm. Um, um, and I don't know if the manager should be coming out and saying, he played well. I mean, he did, you know, he looked good on the ball, but that's only half the game. All right, well, we're, we're sort of aware of the, uh, the the flaws or the lack of players that we have in our midfield, so I don't really want to go over that ground uh, yeah, sure. too much. When it came down to it, you could maybe look at the substitutions that weren't uh, weren't particularly positive from our point of view, that, that it really allowed Spurs to get forward more than they should have done had we kept forward players on like um, like Walcott and like Nasri. So there's that. But the the basic thing that we didn't do, obviously, was keep the ball. Now, mm -hmm. wh where was uh, the instruction coming from there? Who was giving that instruction to the players? Um Obviously, they should know it, but where was the leadership on the pitch uh, for somebody just to say the experience of when we've got experience like Gallas, like Sylvester, like Sesc, who's experienced uh, as well, uh, Adi Bayor's experience, Sanya's experience. Why didn't we do um, the most basic thing we could have done and, and just keep the ball? Well, what was remarkable um, is that the instruction certainly didn't come from the touchline. Uh, there was no sort of Arson wasn't wasn't there instructing us how to keep the ball. Pat Rice at one point got quite frustrated when we lost the, lost the ball on the left wing and tried to pass that instruction. But there wasn't much calming going on for the sidelines. And yeah, like you say, Gallas, everyone, uh, Fabregas, everyone was anonymous in that last period of the game. And um, I, no one really stood up and said, look, this is what we have to do. 
which I find absolutely remarkable. Um, the substitutions, I, I don't really have a problem with, I have to say. Um, you know, you bring Walker off, fine, but he's never completed 90 minutes for us, I don't think, as far as I'm aware. So that wasn't a big surprise to me. You bring Nasri off, I think the same is true of him at this early point in his Arsenal career. Um, and I would rather, at that point, we were 4-2 up, I would rather that they were, you know, rested for Saturday and fresh. Um, however, that's on the precondition that the team actually sees the game through, mm. which I don't think anyone could have anticipated that they would have failed to do. How many more times can we hear Arsene Wenger say that this is a young team, that they're inexperienced, they're a bit naive, they're going to learn their lesson, blah, blah, blah. Uh, because it's beginning to grate a little now. Because the lessons of Fulham weren't learned ahead of the whole game, or indeed ahead of the, the Sunderland game. And the lessons, like you, you, you mentioned the Fenerbahce game, where defensively, you know, Almunia had a brilliant night that night. Let's not forget how good he was against Fenerbahce. The saves he made uh, did a lot to keep that score at 5-2. So there were warning signs and lessons for the team and the manager to learn uh, going going forward there. They don't seem to have been learned at all. And when you're making basic, basic errors or, or basic tactical mistakes, like not keeping the ball in the, in the final part of the game, is there any confidence that these lessons are going to be learned? Well, one thing I would say is that I hope uh, that what Arsene says in public is not what he repeats in private. Um, mm. And I firmly believe that to be the case. If, if you look at the way he's always operated, uh, he will always uh, he will always defend his players publicly, always, 99.9% of the time. Likewise, in the same way, he will always say that he's not looking to buy. You know, it, it, it's one of his stock phrases. And I think after you know, however many years he's been here, 11, 12, whatever it might be, it's quite amazing that the press haven't picked up on the fact that what Arsene says about football matches is essentially a template that is pretty pretty pointless, actually. Like, Arsene's post-match comments, you can guess beforehand. Uh, what you hope is that what he says in the dressing room is pretty different. And last night, I'm sure he would have been absolutely furious with some of those players. Leaving that terrible, terrible night behind us now, because um, we did get a point out of the game, and um, let's take that slight positive thing from This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men. New series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus. Only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
Right. Going ahead yeah. to uh, going ahead to Stoke. Now we, we've heard a lot about uh, Stoke and Rory Delap in particular, who can throw a ball uh, further than than most people can kick it. Um, he he has uh, an ability um, to test defenses. Given how vulnerable our defense is, are you slightly worried going into this game? And in terms of the team, do you think there's going to be some kind of rotation, or is he going to you know say to these players, "There's the horse you just fell off. Get back on it and go and win the game." I think there'll be a couple of changes. I think DRB will certainly start. Um, I think probably just off Adebayor. Uh, that's partly to combat these, you know, these uh, high balls into the box. But also just because uh, he hasn't started the last two games, and I can see that Arsene uh, will probably make use of him there. I think for the most part, though, it'll be a very similar side to the one that faced Spurs. And I think we will struggle. I think we almost certainly will, um, because we've, you know, we haven't really asked and addressed the problem last season uh, that we he pointed out we don't deal well with high balls uh, through the box. Uh, we haven't really addressed that in any way at all. Um, so I'm sure that we'll find it a difficult game to win. However, if we can get the ball on the ground, Stoke are no great shake on the footballing side, um, so. You know, we'll just have to score more goals than them. What do you reckon? Um, nine six to Arsenal. Something like that. I think that's about right. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, Gilberto Silver from Gunnerblog.com. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers to Gilberto Silver from Gunnerblog.com for uh, his uh, thoughts on the Spurs game and the uh, the game coming up against Stoke tomorrow. Now we did get some calls uh, on the uh, the Arscast hotline. Remember, it is there if you want to ring us after a match, if you want to leave a message, give out about something, praise something, even yeah, it could happen. It could. You can do that. The number is uh, on the bottom of today's blog post. You'll find it underneath each Arscast. Uh, if you want, just leave a voicemail. It goes straight to voicemail. You can leave a message, and uh, we'll use a few of them on the show from time to time. Uh, here's a couple that we got after the Spurs game. Hey, blogger. Just come back from what I can only say is the most strange and odd game of football I've ever seen. 4-4, two or three minutes to go, two goals up, and we fucking draw. What is this all about? Like, I can't absolutely believe it. With youth comes arrogance. And tonight was all about arrogance. We just lost our heads. They just have no idea how to finish a game. They just think they can get another goal. And it just doesn't work that way. Arson mixed the team up. We need to get some older guys in there. Cheers, mate. Bye. What made me fucking pissed was... I think fucking aluminum foil that we got keeping in the back there fucked us over for the entire game. Like, that bitch fucking let in more than he saved. He fucked up all the good work that uh, Van Persie had, and, like, I really hope we get a new keeper. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. It's 25 past seven in the morning, and we were 4-2 up, 4-2 up, 4-2. It's criminal. It's absolutely criminal. How could this possibly happen? And as much as I hate, and I really mean this, I really hate having to agree with Alan Hansen, who clearly still has a chip on his shoulder from 20 years ago. Uh, it does start to worry you a bit when you're 4-2 up with about two minutes to go 
and they come back to 4-4. And not only just they come back to 4-4, it's the scum of all people. What do we do? We hand them a, a valued, important point, and no doubt we'll give them huge boost of confidence. It will set them off on a nice run of fixtures to make sure they get out of the relegation zone, which is the last thing we want. And what does it do? No doubt it will absolutely kill the confidence of our team. I mean, they look sick, as rightly so they should, but not as sick as the rest of us, surely. I mean, what, 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 what happened? I mean, really, what happened? How can we, how can we be fought up? It's just, it's just... Bastards. I think we all know exactly how that particular gentleman feels. Uh, thank you uh, for your calls, and if you do want to get in touch at uh, any stage for any Arscast, feel free to do so. Uh, now, one one curious thing, I suppose, that came out of the, the game uh, on Wednesday night was the fact that both our centre-halves scored. Now, leaving aside the fact that if you had told me three or four years ago, we would have, as our central defensive partnership, Mikael Silvestre and William Gallas... After I had stopped being sick into my own mouth, I would have laughed at you. I'd have said, <laughs> football's a funny old game, all right. So leaving that aside entirely, when is the last time both our center halves scored in one game? I don't know. I haven't got it. I can't remember. So uh, if somebody out there is a stato or has one of those, you know, picture-perfect memory things, uh, do feel free to uh, to let me know because uh, I'd be interested to find that out. When's the last time that both Arsenal Centre have scored in the same game? Did Saul Campbell score in the game that Seagan scored too in? Was it? No, he didn't, did he? Anyway, no. See, I don't have a clue. So do let me know. Arscast at arseblog.com if you fancy getting in touch. Obviously, the goal went down well with uh, one of them. Hello everyone, it's me again, Sylvester! I can't believe what happens as a night against Tottenham. First of all, I start again because my form it is oh so good. And second of all, I got my first goal for Arsenal. How exciting the ball came from the corner and I ate it in. But on the other hand, I just can't believe how many goals we let in. We were penetrated four times in 90 minutes. Even for me, that's a record. Oh, baby! Good stuff, and if we get the answer to the double centre half-scoring question, I'll give it to you on next week's um, Arscast. Uh, now, you might remember a couple of weeks ago in the end bit, which is the bit of the Arscast after the theme music, which I'm sure everybody uh, realises there's something there by now. If there isn't, then you've got a whole load of Arscasts to go back through and troll through and go, wow, that 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 was shit. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, the man in the bar sang a song to William Gallas, Oh Cappy. Uh, it was, uh, to the theme of Barry Manilow's Mandy, inspired as he was by the sentiments of our glorious captain, and uh, he sang the song to him. And I was listening to the Guardian podcast uh, on the advice of somebody on the arses, and I can't remember who it was, but thank you very much. I was listening to the end bit of the Guardian podcast, and there's James Richardson, who's a fantastic presenter and very funny, and I do enjoy that podcast. 
but he was singing Okapi on the Guardian podcast. I found it slightly surreal, I have to say. If you haven't heard it, um, ha- have a listen. I remember all my life Arsenal captains without strife Big men who could lead in our hour of need Not sit on the pitch like a crying little bitch and on he went. He didn't actually get as far as the chorus, which was a shame. I would have liked to have heard his his version of the chorus. But there you go. So I said it to the man in the bar this week. I said, did you know that James Richardson, he covered your cover of Barry Manilow's Mandy Cappy thing? He said, he didn't. James Richardson, the guy who used to do the Italian football on Channel 4, used to sit there in the sunshine reading Gazzetto del, del Sport and drink his little espressos and... Got a great gig, and that guy, he's cool. I said, yeah. So he was very impressed altogether. And he wanted to respond in a, in a similar kind of a fashion and, and to show his appreciation for James uh, by singing him a song with, with possibly a slight Italian theme. So here it is. Oh, James Richardson, give him to me. He did the football from Italy. These days he does podcast and in Eurovision he will come last. I mean, that's not simply a reflection on a singing voice or anything. You know, it's to do with the way all the Eastern Bloc countries vote for each other nowadays. I mean, Ireland are the only people that vote for England at all. And we hate the English. Jesus, I mean, a long way from the Brotherhood of Man it is these days, the Eurovision Song Contest. Anyway, there you go. Enjoy, James. Enjoy. That was, of course, an adaptation of the old Italian classic, Just One Cornetto. We've got team news ahead of the game against Stoke on the way. Now, this. You get some strange cases in my line of work. Like the one with the parish priest, the beauty queen, and the mutant child they produced. Remind me to tell you at some time. I was sitting smoking a roly when the guy walked into the office. His ugliness was familiar to me. The protruding mouth, the nose, and teeth. I couldn't recall if he was an ex-client or something I saw in a sewer sometime. And the hair, my god, I hadn't seen anything that bad since Sure made it with the Bay City Rollers. What do you want, I said. I need you to find something for me, he said. What's that? My England place. Well, it ain't the same as finding someone's car or a cheating wife, but I'll do it. It's gonna cost you, though. How about a check, he said. That'll do fine. Who do I make it out to, he said. A Maori Bischoff, P.I. As he wrote it out, I took the sauna from under my desk and shot him right in the face. I remembered who he was. Now, he was nobody. We'll have more from Amari Bischoff P.I. on another uh, RSCast in the future. Now, uh, team news ahead of the Stoke game is as follows. Um, injuries to William Gallas and Emmanuel Abue. Um, yeah, well, there you go. I suppose it, it gives us a chance uh, to have a look at Sylvester and Colo Toure in the center of defense which I'm interested in seeing. I'm more interested in seeing Colo and Sylvester than I am in seeing Gallus and Sylvester. Maybe that's just me, but I'd like to see how they get on. 
And maybe uh, it's a timely injury for Colo because I, I just have a feeling that uh, the manager likes the way Sylvester does whatever it is he does in that he's a bit different from Colo and a bit different from Gallas. He's a bit more uh, attacking as a centre-half in, in that he'll attack the ball uh, rather than uh, stroll at the pitch, uh, that kind of attacking. So I, I think as long as Gallas was fit and Sylvester was doing all right, Colo was going was gonna to find himself on the bench a bit, uh, which for me was a little harsh when you consider that it was, it was Gallas that made the errors, the high-profile errors, Colo hasn't been playing well, um, but neither has Gallas. And Gallas is the one that has sort of made the errors. Uh, but then it's Colo that, that sort of through injury, etc., found himself on the bench. And I think he might have stayed there. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, Ibue, well, um, yeah, he's got a knee injury. Uh, he may play, he may not. But uh, I think, uh, yeah, I'm trying to care enough to even comment. Uh, but I can't. So I won't. So there you go. Uh, the game itself, a lot of talk about Rory Delap's throw-ins. I suppose they are going to be a bit of a challenge to the defense. And, um, you know, we are vulnerable under the high ball. And he does throw them in at this weird trajectory, doesn't he? I don't quite know how he does it. He just sort of skims them just above head height. Well, they seem to stay the same height the whole way. It's not like he throws them in this great big arc or, you know, doesn't go very high and then come back down. It's just like... I don't know how he does it. He must have freaky wrists. Do you reckon? Because it can't be the can't be the forearms or the the shoulders. You know, everybody's got all the footballers have got big shoulders and powerful arms. So he's got to have some some major wrist action going on. I think the only way to find out is to do an autopsy on him. If somebody wants to do that before the game tomorrow. I would have no objection. Can you do a living autopsy? Is that an autopsy or is that a, a torture? Because we wouldn't have any anesthetic, would we? I mean, why would you waste it? So there you go. Um, yeah, well, three points, I suppose, uh, has got to be the order of the day. Again, we're talking about getting a response from the team. Again, we're talking about a reaction to a setback. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, if the players are deflated, well, you know, hard luck. They're just going to have to pick themselves up because uh, the fans are more deflated than the players. That's what I think. And the fans are going to be traveling there and they want a performance from the boys and they don't want to see uh, guys feeling sorry for themselves over uh, over Wednesday night. That's our job. We're feeling sorry for ourselves. They're not allowed to do that. It's just not right. So, um, yeah, uh, Interesting as well to see if he does make some changes, as Gilberto Silver said. He reckons Diaby will come in. Um, Bentner, maybe he'll get a game. Vela, I'd like to see a bit more of as well. Um, but who knows? Who knows? So uh, hopefully, hopefully we can pick up the three points in that one. And then next Wednesday, we've got uh, Fenerbahce in the Champions League, you see. Um, so that game could actually more or less qualify us uh, for the knockout stages. So that's taking place uh, next Wednesday at uh, 7.45. So, yeah, plenty to go on between uh, now and the next Irishcast. Uh, not much else to talk about. Uh, I think we've said enough as it is. Uh, have yourselves a very, very good weekend, a scary Halloween weekend. Me loads of kids calling to my door now shortly, so I've got to get the dog ready. Uh, not that he's particularly vicious, but I've been training him to fart in the direction of small children in costumes.
And let me tell you something. If you have never smelt the smell of a fart of a 12-year-old basset hound, then you don't know what a bad smell is. Oh, you've happened to chance upon a corpse that's been lying in a field full of shit for three months? No, doesn't come close. Not even close. Imagine all the years of impacted stuff living in the bowels of a basset hound for twelve years, and every time he farts, the air takes a few of those morsels of impacted stuff out into the air, and it's So, uh, that'll teach children to call to my door on Halloween, let me tell you. Yeah. All right, then. Well, um, until next week's Arscast, here's hoping the football goes well. Uh, I'll talk to you uh, on the blog, of course. Uh, Have yourselves a great weekend. Bye-bye. Christmas presents for your retarded mates and family, get on down to the Tottenham DVD sale. We've got the commemorative 4-4 win over Arsenal and Harry Redknapp's first Tottenham crap, including close-ups of the worms. And don't forget our incredible, unbeaten DVD, celebrating the run at the start of the season when Spurs opponents went unbeaten against us for eight games, getting that Spanish weight to the sack. Order before December 1st and you go into a draw to win Darren Bent. Spurs DVDs will release any old shit and you'll buy it. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.